Welcome to the podcast, Career Stories from the Field. I am Penny Strutton, a business psychologist and career coach, and for the last 10 years, I've worked with hundreds of people and helped them find a job or career that fulfills them. Very rarely do we see a straightforward career pathway. This podcast will showcase a variety of careers and highlight the career pathways people have taken to achieve their current position. It is the interesting routes, choices, opportunities and challenges that I will be exploring to showcase how different people have navigated their career. I'm hoping to help young people and career changers join the dots between subjects at school, tertiary education and job experience and give more people confidence to embrace opportunities that take them closer to a fulfilling career. Today, I'm talking to Paul Harrison. Paul is a director at KPMG. He started his career with a degree in psychology, but moved directly into the Inland Revenue as a tax inspector. He spent the last couple of decades at KPMG within the tax directorate. So welcome, Paul Harrison. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Career Stories from the Field. It's a pleasure, Penny, thank you. So let's start off. Tell us, tell us what, what it is that you do. What is your job title? I'm a director at KPMG, which is one of the big four global accounting firms. So director, director in what? I work in the tax practice at KPMG. So we have three big divisions, tax, audit, which everybody will recognise, and management consulting or advisory, as we call it. But I'm, I'm in the tax practice. I've been a, a tax professional ever since leaving university and I've been at KPMG for a long time. Fantastic. So what does a director in the tax department actually do? Could you give us almost an overview of a day in the life? I'll I'll try and do that, Penny. It's difficult because every day is, I know it's a cliche, but every day is different. Um, And I I guess I should start by saying what I do less of these days than I used to do for most of the time I've been at the firm. So I was a partner at KPMG for over 20 years um, in a absolutely full-time client-facing role so you know I had clients I ran projects I, I led led teams in the firm giving advice to clients in all kinds of different situations from multinationals to uh, right down to sort of high net worth individuals um, so I did that for a long long time but but m- more recently I ch- changed roles after having taken a sort of shortish career break um, so I'm now in one of our central functions within the division the tax division um, and I, I I do have some client facing time, but but that's not really my principal role. So it's really an internal role supporting the client facing teams in the work that they do. So I, kind of if there if there was a typical day, it would probably involve two kinds of categories of things. One would be helping the firm decide whether we should take on a particular client or continue to act for a particular client. So as you might imagine, there are some sectors of the economy that become high risk for all kinds of different reasons. So, um, you know, offshore gambling might be one or cryptocurrency, if there's crypto involved. And, and these things change over time. But um, and, and we have some quite you know, sort of strict positions on what we will and what we won't do. It's very important to us that we we don't act for clients that, that could damage our reputation. So we're, we're very careful about taking on clients that we don't know very well of or if they're in particular sectors. So I spend quite a bit of time helping the firm make decisions on whether we take clients on 
or whether in fact we continue to act for clients because sometimes clients change or the world changes around us and them and we might we might take a different different decision to what we might have done a few years ago so uh, i do that as well and the, the, the other kind of category is actively helping client service teams with the projects that they're working on if they sort of you know hit difficult pinch points or particular uh, difficult judgments on what to do next or you know sort of strategic direction in the project projects are complicated and difficult and, that, that, and we're, we're a big we're an organization that is big on consulting and and teamwork and you know making sure that we get enough brains on the problem to get the right answer as best as we can so i often get sort of kind of parachuted into situations to to help teams make critical decisions on on projects fantastic sounds really interesting it is yeah what around those uh, those activities? What do you particularly enjoy about it? That that I guess has changed as it, as you'd expect over the years. I mean, right now, uh, and I'm as you can probably tell, even though you can't see me on the podcast, I'm I'm not a young man anymore. Uh, so I've been doing this for a long, long time. So I've got a lot of experience in what I'm doing, and it's it's a very enjoyable thing to be able to utilize that experience in very different situations rather than you know being involved in a project for two years and and dealing with the same people and the same kind of issues which was great but but now i get i get the privilege of jumping in and out of different problems all the time and while while i'm clearly invested in the problem i'm not a core member of the client service team so i get more chance to be even more objective than perhaps i would have been so i really love problem solving and problem solving on a kind of repeat basis, but in a very different situation every time. So that's that's a, a real privilege to be able to do. And I like p- problems are technical and also people related usually. So there are sort of technical things that that need resolving, and some sometimes they're incredibly complicated. And I work with some just brilliant people who are deep specialists in their field, and that that's a real privilege as well. And we we get to wrestle with some of the most difficult problems intact you know which sound, might sound a bit boring at the face of it but can actually be quite quite fascinating and um and there are also people problems you know how, how do we best utilize the people skills in the team that we've got to deal with a problem how do we interact with the client in a better way how do we deal with the tax authority who are also people dealing with problems as well as big organizations so navigating all those people things that can make the difference between a problem being solved or being made worse i really enjoy doing as well a really good mix. Is there any particular meaning that you derive from the work? Is that important to you? Well, it's said, isn't it, that meaning meaning is is really important to how satisfied and how motivated one is at work. And and that I think that is definitely true in my own personal experience. I think it's also true though that the meaning changes over time or, or what becomes meaningful might change over time and what motivates a person might change over time. And it's certainly changed for me. So, you know, when I was a younger man in starting out life in the tax profession, climbing the greasy pole in a place like, well, I was a civil servant, I was a tax inspector for 10 years and then, then joined KPMG. But but you're in a very, you're in hierarchical organisations. You, you've got a young family, you need to um, progress and develop and and you want to, you know, earn more money to do the things you want to do on the, on the private thing. So, so, you know, things like that motivate you, more instrumental things. It's meaningful because you can be more comfortable at home and go on a, a holiday with the family and get a nicer car those you know those things are important when you're when you're young or were important to me anyway so that motive motivated me quite a lot i have to say as a tax inspector as well i was quite strongly motivated by what felt like right and wrong at the time because the the job i ended up doing 
quite deeply within when I was a tax inspector was investigating serious tax fraud dealing with tax crime which I think you know all of us can agree quite easily that that's not 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 the right thing to be doing so to be able to be active in clamping down on things like that and recovering tax that would have otherwise not be paid and helping to fund public services felt very rewarding at the time a bit like robin hood you know that was different in kpmg of course because you're kind of on the other side of the table although it's not so different as it might as it might seem but more recently it's it's more nuanced i think it is about um it's about being able to as i said earlier being able to deploy the skills and the experience that you've developed over time in in a way that that kind of challenges you regularly every day and you, you get to find out well how good are you really with this stuff and, and how much have you really learned over time and you get tested i get tested every day with new things and to be able to do that and and to keep learning because of that is an amazing thing so you know be, being able to i think mastery i think is the term that's used is it so so being able to feel that you you're quite good at what you do but also you, you're encountering things that are brand new and you can still develop is a is hugely rewarding for me now sounds very rewarding and the variety sounds sounds very exciting yes yeah variety that's that's the word i couldn't remember variety is really important yeah so let's rewind uh, a bit yeah did you always want to be in tax what did you what did you study at university that led you down this career path i studied psychology at university so no i definitely did not want to uh, it never occurred to me that there was such a thing as a career in in tax and believe it or not quite recently i was going through some a, a box of you know we've all got a box of stuff mementos and memorabilia from our lives haven't we and i was going through that and i actually found a sheet of paper that was a, a form that had been filled in when i had my careers advice i was 14 or 15 at school and at that time i think they're trying to reintroduce it now but at that time everybody had an hour with the careers advisor and they talked to you about what you wanted to do and gave you guidance about you know what subjects to take at GCSE o, o level as it was then called it says on there that I, I said that I wanted to be an industrial psychologist isn't that funny because that's is, obviously what you you did uh, in your career break it, it, indeed yeah yeah and, and I do remember saying it bizarrely I, I do remember being interested in it and I had an uncle who was a, he was an educational psychologist not, not an industrial psychologist but I met him a few times and he talked about his work and I found it fascinating and he gave me a few books one of them was on industrial, they called it industrial psychology then, but it's work psychology now or occupational psychology. And I, and I read it and I found it really fascinating. I also thought it might sound quite cool to tell the careers advisor and I wanted to be an industrial psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> but the form said this and, and I'd completely forgotten about it until I reread it and I, then I did remember all about it. So yeah, so no, I did not want to be a tax inspector, but I do remember so I did psychology at university, which wouldn't naturally lead to a, a career in tax, although there's no reason why it, it couldn't. Um, and I was going to go on to do a, a master's then, but for all kinds of reasons, chose not to do that and tried, you know, started to look for a job. And I remember seeing two job adverts for being a tax inspector on consecutive days. They were obviously doing a campaign at the time and they were quite smart adverts and they got me hook, line and sinker. So w one of them had a picture of a young couple at what looked like a party or something and the the wording said imagine being at a party and somebody asks you what you do for a living you tell them that you're a tax inspector 
that's all it said. And then it said, apply here. And I thought, yeah, imagine that. Imagine being at a party and saying that you're a tax inspector. You know, and it kind of plays into the, uh, that would be a really interesting thing to say at a party to somebody who you, you know, meeting for the first time and you want to come across as mysterious and unusual. <laughs> Wouldn't that be, that's what I thought at the time. And then the next day it was, um, would you like to be an investigator, an advocate? And, and I can't remember the, the, the other one, but it was, I thought, yeah, investigate. And I'd love to be an investigator. I had that sort of air of, again, that air of mystery and excitement and subterfuge. And a bit arguing, advocating for something, arguing a, a case or a, you know, I always liked arguing. So I thought, yeah, that's it. And it's, and it's, they had that party thing yesterday as well. This sounds really good. This sounds really good. So I applied for it and it was the fast stream civil service selection process. And they were particularly looking for tax inspectors at the time. So I, I applied and, and went through the um, civil service selection board process. And you had to choose, I think, three government departments and because I, 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 I wanted this tax inspector thing. So I chose the Inland Revenue as it then was as my first choice. And uh, they were obviously quite desperate because they took me. You didn't have to have a particular degree. You just had to have a degree. That's really um, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because the skill set that you would imagine, well, that you would you would develop at doing a psychology degree, I, from my perspective, very different from tax inspecting. How did that, yeah. how did that transition work for you? No, it's a good question. Well, well I think Probably the first most obvious reason is that there is a huge amount of technical training that you get in on the job. So any career in accounting or tax, whatever you've done at university, you have to do another three years, more or less, of really, really very demanding technical training and, and examinations to get the professional qualification. So whilst it, would, it can be helpful to have an accounting or a business or an economics type degree background, it doesn't really make a lot of difference. Well, I think what they want to see or wanted to see is, um, you know, you've got the general intelligence to get to degree level and you've had the application and kind of self-reliance to, to get through and pass the exams to a particular level. So uh, it was a, a ticket to the table. Having a degree gave you a ticket to the table, but but that's all it gave you. You had then to you know go through the training and get the exams on the job. That's really interesting because I think for so many young people today, I know for my son, for example, he's looking to choose his A-levels. And yes. obviously, when you're looking at your A-levels, you're thinking, what degree should I go do or what tertiary education should I do? And then what job will that lead me to? And actually, yeah. going down the psychology route is very you know, people focused. And, and you've gone down something you know, that led you to go down a very different career path, which is which is really interesting. Yeah. Did you feel that you were able to utilize any of those skills that you had gained during psychology and apply them? within your tax inspector role? I think there was, um, I chose to do psychology because I was interested in be behaviour, understanding human behaviour. You know, I, sometimes these things happen almost by accident. As I said earlier, me meeting this family member who was a psychologist kind of sparked that interest. And, and then I pursued it on my own by reading some books and stuff. And so you just become interested in these things, not quite by accident, but, but that's how it happened to me anyway. So, um, so I think with that natural interest in human behavior i did definitely carry that through into the job and whilst it might sound paradoxical because tax is a very technical thing and uh, professional services accounting what have you just sound quite dry to, to those who don't don't know it from the inside uh, actually a lot of it is about people i mean you are you are actually fun you're giving advice to people clients who you're in a very commercial environment apart from anything else so you, you do need to be able to interact with people to deploy the technical skills in a way that 
that makes sense to them and delivers value to them. So it's not unlike many other roles that do require good good people understanding. And actually investigating, I did get very interested in investigation. I still am. So finding out what's happened, trying to piece together what the truth is, especially when it involves people behaving in ways I absolutely find fascinating. So yeah, I, I don't I don't need to force myself to pursue those things. I, I can't stop myself. My curiosity about why did that person, what would a person do in that situation? And therefore, where, where might I find evidence of, of what I think might have happened? And I was often called a lucky investigator. And I think I was lucky in some cases, but actually, it, when I look back, it was mainly, I took, I took guesses and made judgments about what to do next that were informed by this, I think, understanding of an interest in human behaviour. Really interesting. No, it does make sense. And I think that's really interesting because I think if you were to look at almost the psychological or personality attributes of what you would imagine to be prevalent in more of a psychology pathway to a tax pathway, what I can see is that you developed a real ability within that technical sphere. So that analytical evidence, technical data environment but actually that the big picture thinking, that conceptual analytical ability at that at the other end of the scale has really helped inform and support your success in that role through being able to have yeah. that curiosity and make sense of the story. And that's really interesting, isn't it? That actually those those two opposite skill sets almost have combined to, to generate real success for you. No, absolutely. And I think it's why if... If you look at, say, my organisation, who are the most successful people, judging success by seniority and um, profile and reputation, pretty good measures of success, I suppose, in that environment, then then I don't think there's a very, very strong correlation between that and their degree background, particularly, or possibly even their technical proficiency. You know, we have some of the brightest people you could ever hope to meet who are absolutely brilliant at what they do but are in relatively junior grades. And we have some incredibly great client service professionals who have got the technical capability, but are actually supremely good at at the client handling and listening and understanding what the issues are and and deploying the technical skills in, in kind of the real world, as it were, rather than the more academic technical side especially in professional services i think it's it's the those who can develop those more people skills the humanity type skills who actually tend to get to the more senior levels absolutely the people skills are absolutely critical i remember um, doing some research for an article quite a quite a few years ago now uh, i was asked by the local paper to write a story about the skills for the future and i did a lot of research and i kept going with the research because i i wasn't quite sure whether i was really uh, coming up with with the right answers but essentially the skills for the future are people it's about being able to build relationships show empathy uh, yeah. collaborate absolutely essential no matter what your technical background those people skills those that relationship building is is fundamental to success isn't yes. it absolutely and and Certainly in our industry, the digital transformation has been disrupting that balance for a few years now, and it's, that disruption is accelerating. So just by just quick example, right? We, we prepare tax returns for thousands of companies in the UK, some of them very big and very complicated, some less so, but thousands of them. You know, until about a year or two or three ago, 
all of that work was done by people manually pretty much you know some of it was automated but actually a lot of it was manual and especially all the technical thinking and analysis was done manually we do a lot of our tax returns by robots machine learning artificial intelligence now so that the people are deployed on the far more than the, the most difficult and the client interaction part of it the people skill yeah piece of it that's really interesting isn't it so tell us then how did you transition from being a tax inspector then into kpmg what brought about that move oh it should be easy to answer that and it's not so easy putting myself back in my own shoes at at the time so i i actually had no intention to leave the inland revenue as it, it was then called i'd got to quite a quite senior level i was in charge of a team it was a quite some other 20, 22 or three people, accountants, tax inspectors, focusing full time on investigation work. So, you know, I was in heaven, really, <laughs> given what I said earlier, I'm absolutely loving it and had absolutely no, no intention of leaving. And I, I was approached by one of the professional services firms. You know, Will you come and talk to us? And I knew that I wasn't going to leave, but I couldn't resist the curiosity. Yeah, I, was, I want to find out what, the, what they're going to say. So I went to see them and I didn't like the individuals. So I kind of went away reinforced in my belief that that was definitely not for me. And, and I, I was absolutely right about not leaving. I think because the fact that you'd gone to see somebody gets out into the recruitment network and I was approached again by somebody else, <laughs> by KPMG, in fact. Aha, right. By the local office of KPMG. Again, the curiosity got the better of me. And I do remember this. I absolutely remember this. This might sound a bit weird. So I turned up for this meeting, no agenda, no, you know, I wasn't applying for a job or I'd not, you know, or I hadn't put my CV out there or anything like that. They just approached me and said, will you come for a chat? And I said, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. No, no, I understand <laughs> that. But we'd like to meet you. So I remember walking into the office and bear in mind, this is the mid nineties. Even then a professional services office was very, very different to a civil service office, right? Oh gosh, I bet, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> So I was expecting that because I've been into lots of accountants' offices, so I knew, I knew it'd be quite fancy. I walked in. I was met by one of the um, secretarial staff on reception, who was the most delightful person. Really welcoming, really cheerful, really happy, just absolutely lovely. I had a chat with with her, and you know, she sat me down, got me a cup of tea, and had we had a chat about. It. She was she was absolutely you know just really friendly, and then um, so so made a great first impression, right? Because you don't yeah. think of it in those terms at the time, but I thought that that was really good. You know, I walked in. That was a very, very different experience than walking into a tax office. And then I met um, the partner, who was equally lovely, and we had a really, really, really good chat. He was able to deal with the idea that I didn't want to leave, and I was never going to leave, and I never wanted to work for an accountant, so I wasn't quite sure why I was there. And he, how do you deal with that when you're in? You know, can you, so in his head, he's kind of interviewing me. You need me. Some so skills there. You do, you do, and I realised. Kind of now you know what what an amazingly skillful thing that was and uh but he was very good he, he just talked about the work and about tax and uh, about investigation work and how they saw the opportunity in in the market and how they wanted to help clients and how they'd realized now that, that you know that it was important that they were able to help clients deal with these issues because they didn't feel they got the right skills in the office and they, they were looking for somebody and it was great to meet me and if i ever change my mind you know please let us know sort of thing and I, I distinctly remember walking down the hill from that office thinking, this feels like I've walked out of a cave into the daylight, right? Wow. Because my, my only experience of work 
was being a tax inspector straight from university straight into the civil service that's all i knew that's that was the world of work as far as i could see i had no experience of anything else and i just had a glimpse into the 99.9 percent of all other work that goes on in the real world <laughs> i thought you know what it's for one it's really interesting and two it might be full of really good people who are wanting to do the right thing and it, they may be just it may be just great fun you know and of course they could pay more and all the rest of it so all those things you start building the case in your own head so that is a long story but it's absolutely the truth of why i went from absolutely definitely not leaving to okay that's it i'm going in the space of about a month <laughs> wow that's incredible. So what did yeah. you what what role did you start out as when you when you went to KPMG? The grade titles are a little bit misleading. So I, I went as a senior manager, which sounds like a senior manager. Yes. Um, but I didn't I didn't at that time I didn't have a team to manage. Uh, I obviously I had no clients at that time and um, I was there to build a practice an investigations practice. So clients of KPMG who had tax problems you know, maybe having inquiries from the tax authorities or clients of other firms in, in the region who didn't have the skills. You know, they had a good network of relationships with other professional firms who didn't have the skills to do all kinds of stuff, but including dealing with investigations. So they had this really good quality network. So, you know, within a month or two, we were getting referrals of a small firm of accountants in Derby would pick up the phone and say, we've got a client who's under investigation. It's looking really quite difficult. We don't know what to do. Can you help us? Well, yeah, of course, I can help you. So I'd go out to Derby and meet the client and we'd say, OK, I think this is what's happening. This is what you need to do. W will you be able to do it for us? Yeah, absolutely. So what felt quite easy at the time actually was quite hard work, really. I built a practice in the office, then that became a regional practice. So <clears throat> I ended up spending time in Birmingham and we built a regional team. And then I got I got asked to run the UK team. That is such a fantastic <coughs> story. Yeah. Really fantastic story. And what I can see there is just such a diversity of skills that you've been using. So you started off as tax inspector, as you say, you went in with your psychology degree, you learned the technical skills, you've you had this wonderful curiosity that really helped you excel. You developed uh, a team, you ran a team, you know, real success there, moved on to KPMG and then yet another challenge of starting, actually starting from scratch, creating yeah, a practice. It was like a the best kind of startup opportunity because it was definitely a startup but you've got this incredible organization around you yeah all the support all the mentors the coaches the resources the time and access to a network already and a bit of a client base that's already in the firm so yeah yeah it was looking back it was an enormous privilege really it's a dream um, <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah it was the entrepreneurial thing, build, building a business within that environment, not the same as a genuine startup. I I, I realise that, but nevertheless, you know, similar skills. Yeah, you've got to you've got to really you know think outside the box in terms of <clears throat> how you're going to create that function. Yeah, uh, that business unit technically, but also how you're going to to take it to the market and and how you're going to engage with exactly. your customers. Yeah, so like recruiting people, advertising, presenting sales collateral all the things that you have to do when you're building a business i had to do but it was just made a lot easier for me really great so tell yeah. us I, mean, I, I know when you and i met paul we were doing our masters in organizational psychology which was a few years back now what brought you uh to the point where you decided to take a career break and then do some further study i was middle-aged i got to the most senior position in the firm that i was likely to get to within my specialist area 
so I was leading the UK team. So I had, um, <clears throat> you know, I had options to, to go off and do something else within the firm or carry on doing what I was doing. But that that didn't feel right because there, there are younger people coming through who are just like I was. Sometimes you just have to realise that it's time to move on and get out of the way kind of thing. So all that was running around my head. And, and I started getting, um, you know, when you're in a big organisation for a long time, especially at a senior level, you get quite close to the centre and you see the thought processes of the successive leadership teams that come in to the organisations yeah. that want to do things differently, try and work out what the right thing to do is, have their own foibles, their own little pet theories, their own latest fad type things, yeah. uh, to, to, including actually particularly to do with people, you know, how do we reward people? What's the right approach to the bonus scheme? How should we recruit people? What's, you know, promoting people? What the framework we should use for promoting people? How do we get our people motivated better? All those psychology related things that I was always fascinated by. I could see firsthand and repeatedly over time. I, I realised even I was thinking, oh, that's not right. Or I think this is what we should do. Uh, and I started challenging myself. Why do I think I know? And I, I've got my own pet theories. I've got, you know, I did, I did a psychology degree, yes, but it was... 30 years ago or whenever you know 25 years ago why do I think I might know what the answer I don't know the answer and actually we might have people who know better than I do probably do but they might not really know the answer either so yeah I started to get even more interested in all those questions and and, and it was obvious that I couldn't go back to my 30 year old learning because you know psychology as a subject has massively developed over time in all kinds of ways hasn't it not not always good ways but I was so out of date and I started to get really quite keen on the idea of accelerating myself back up the understanding curve. I wanted to know what the current thinking was on organisational behaviour and psychology and, yeah. and, and, and even sort of quite dry things like statistics. You know, I remember doing statistics as part of my undergraduate degree and um, I, I knew that that had all changed as well. And I was quite keen to find out and to learn a new skill because I did find it quite difficult undergraduate level I remember being sort of very challenged by it and I was able and the, and the firm were didn't want me to go but understood and made it very easy for me I didn't have a plan to go back neither did I rule it out but I think I probably did rule it out actually I, I had no intention or expectation to go back to KPMG but I wanted to do something different and that was that was why I, I went to do the the masters and that's how we met yeah and now I suppose you've got that under your belt, you've got that contemporary learning and yes. you've come back into the firm in this this real sort of troubleshooting role, yeah. which is really exciting. Yeah. And I'm sure you're able now to apply the skills that and the knowledge that you learned uh, in your master's at this level as well. Yes. Again, incredibly privileged situation for me because having been with the organisation for so long, you will know this as in the role that you, in your business, Penny, that the entrepreneurial challenge that that you have to um, build the relationships and get airtime with the senior people and access budgets for HR related things is 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 a very difficult thing to do and it's it's difficult in a big organisation for even the internal HR people to get airtime with the senior people, you know. So you've got two or three obstacles in front of you before you can get there. Because I was on the um, sort of business side of things, not the HR side of things, uh, it was easy for me to access the. CFO, the board members and the senior people that, that were were wrestling with some of the issues. And I was incredibly lucky because when I rejoined within a matter of weeks, the firm, totally independent, nothing to do with me at all, started to get interested in um, 
have we got the right environment for people to put their hands up when they're not happy, when things are not going well, when they've got we need to be able, we need our people to feel able to do that, which of course is is a big aspect of psychological safety, which was my thesis was on that topic area. And I recognised it quite quickly as you do. And I was able because of my background in the firm and the people I knew and my seniority and relationship with the business, I was able to go straight to just kind of sub board level and say, oh, by the way, I, I, you know, I was a partner of 20 years, but I've got an MSc in occupational psychology. I specialised in psychological safety. I think this is really interesting. Do you need any help? That They said, oh, yeah, well, absolutely. You know, to have somebody who everybody recognises, but also with a, an academic qualification. So, yeah, incredibly lucky. But yes, so I, I actually was able to deploy very explicitly the skills that I'd and learning that I'd had on the MSc in, in the organisation. But but that wouldn't be easy for most people. I think that's quite an, an extraordinary situation. But more generally, yes. Yeah, because some of the problems, as I said earlier, are people related problems. And actually, I think not, not so much the technical content of the Masters, although that, that does come into play. The skill that I had to relearn on the Masters, which is one of the things I wanted to relearn, and I didn't realise how big a lesson it really was, evidence-based even though i thought i was careful about making judgments and reaching conclusions and i i I thought i was an investigator you know by by nature and by training actually i was as vulnerable to bias as everybody else Uh, and it's invidious because a lot of it's unconscious you don't know that you're biased and once you start understanding those things and going through the masters i realized you know because you are taught aren't you you're trained albeit in a relatively short space time you're trained to not assert things without evidence quality evidence i do actually find myself quite regularly slowing colleagues down saying just a minute before we jump to conclusions let's just be really careful okay why are we saying this what's the evidence that we base it on before we you know make this big decision let's just check over here and over there why don't we talk to that person and this other person make sure we got all the views around the table let's just calm down (laughs) (laughs) yes Um, slow the emotion (laughs) exactly yeah yeah so that that skill that i learned relearned to an extent but learned for the first time on the masters i deploy every day in the work that i do yeah i get a great kick out of it as well which is incredible yeah very rewarding to be able to take that break do something expand the mind in a different way and then be able to come back and deploy it it must be very rewarding so Let's imagine that we're talking to to uh, a younger audience here that are about to maybe choose their A-levels or choose their yeah. um, you know, tertiary education choice. And they're listening to this and they're really interested in, in the journey that you've, you've had. What advice would you give them around maybe subject or attitude? What advice? Yeah, yeah. D- given what I've just said about evidence, OK, so this is I feel I need to be quite careful here. This is my view. It's based almost exclusively on my own personal experience, really, and therefore isn't. It's not gospel. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want people to, to think he's. You know, somebody said this is what I should do. Therefore, I should do it. No, this. this maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Okay. Uh, so I would say that I think I used the phrase "ticket to the table." Young young people, especially I think today and going forward, it, they'll they'll be in the world of work for decades, right? Yeah, probably doing very different things over time. So there's going to be very few lifelong careers really yeah. going forward. So they're going to have to be pretty agile and flexible and therefore I think quite clear about their what the fundamental building blocks of their own natural and learned skills so that they can deploy them flexibly wherever they happen to be. I.e. it's not really a case of 
having technical learning in a particular box because that might get you to the first or second job for a bit, but it's not going to necessarily map to what you have to do next. It's really more about the stuff that underpins all that. So I would say you need the ticket to the table because employers are still going to want to recruit people who've got degrees, say, or A-levels or, or GCSEs to, to a standard. I think they're increasingly less interested in exactly what they are. It, can, it obviously can, that you, you take, yeah, it can that be important, but I, I don't think it's as important as it f- might feel when you're making the choices. So I would say don't get too hung up on being too strategic about the exact choice that you make. Because whilst it's not irrelevant, it's it's not going to determine the rest of your life, OK? No. So what, so what should guide that decision making? I would say it's better to have a ticket to the table than not a ticket. Better to have a silver ticket than a standard ticket and even better to have a gold ticket than a standard or silver ticket, right? So what, what is going to help you get the best outcome, whatever subject you choose? And I, I think it's more likely to be what you interested in what are you curious about what do you happen to be good at well the two don't always go together they often do but i had i seem to be particularly good at english literature and writing essays and i also found it quite boring at the time i, I didn't find it very interesting i had to apply myself but i was I, I seemed to be very good at it i wanted to be a better biologist i did a level biology but it was incredibly hard work and i ended up not being very good at all but i was <laughs> so the two don't always go together but i would say Try, try and be self-aware about what does the evidence tell you that you're actually good at? That's not a bad pointer. Yep. What are you curious about? And being curious at that age doesn't always happen so obviously, but if you are curious and interested in something, then I would say you should do that, right? Agreed. When are you going to get the chance to do that again? So yeah, you should do that. It also means you're probably going to be quite good at it because curiosity and interest often follows or underpins good performance. So I would say what you're good at, what you're interested in, let that be your fundamental guiding point. D- do as well as you can. That will give you a ticket to a table. So when you get your ticket to the table, yeah, what do you think defines or distinguishes one person from another to be able to take that next prestigious move? Like you were, uh, you know, you got your ticket to the table, you were interviewed at the for the Inland Revenue role, you got it. What, what do you think was the distinguishing factor you know, you had multiple people there with multiple degrees or multiple tickets. What do you think distinguished you from others, let's say? It's hard to say, Penny, is the honest answer to that. Sometimes I, I think because of the natural curiosities that you have, and I had a natural curiosity about you know, human behaviour and I, I was, I'm quite introverted so I'm, and I'm the youngest of four kids, so I spent a lot of my time sat in the corner watching other people do stuff. That's yeah. probably where I got my interest in, you know, why are they fighting now? What, what's the, why are they arguing about this again? <laughs> so I tended to be on the act, look, looking and observing. That was just the natural way I did things. I, I was quite introverted and listened quite carefully to what was going on. So there's probably not much you can do about those qualities of yourself as, a, as an individual, M- maybe except being aware of them. Be self-aware, understand what those qualities are that are, that are yours and deploy them in situ, like interviews. I had to do sort of group exercise and all kinds of stuff. So I remember thinking at the time, I'm never going to be the first to speak in this group exercise because that's just not what I do, right? So, and I know that, but I'll I'll be all right. I'll just sit and wait. I'll choose the moment. I'll have listened to what others are saying. I'll judge the room, 
pick pick the moment to add the most value work get out what i'm going to do and then do it you get your chance okay but you've got to know that otherwise you you can get lost yeah so what makes the difference i don't know maybe maybe being being aware of who you are trying trying to work out who you are and what make makes you who you are and then trying to work out how that translates into how you behave in things like interviews or exams or group exercises or wherever and not trying to be somebody you're not because that will confuse your brain and you'll trip up right just be work out who you are maximize optimize those attributes i think that's sterling advice definitely find out who you are first and then you can then you can adapt and apply yourself in in, in different scenarios and arenas yourself up if you're not who you think you should be for a particular thing because that doesn't matter that's not what employers i don't think are, are actually looking for anyway no they, they want people who who know who they are and are comfortable in their own skins and yes yeah. would yeah. you say attitude plays a part in that that distinguishing factor massive yeah Pro- probably well the ticket to the table is is that's why a ticket to the table is important okay you only get in the room if you've got the ticket to get in the room that's why exams and all the rest are, are, are important. So you, you have to be in the room to get, have the chance. Then it becomes about attitude. De- absolutely, definitely attitude and behaviour. Being who you are, not trying to be somebody you're not. How do I, I think the person who does this job is the kind of person who's this kind of person. So I'll try and I'll act as if I'm that kind of person. If, if it works, you're very lucky. It probably won't work. And humans are very good at detecting when somebody's acting like that. So. You won't come across as somebody who knows who they are and is comfortable in their own skin and has got has got the confidence about that and the humility to know when they, they don't know something. It's that real authenticity, isn't it? That's the word. Thank you. Yeah. Authent- if you can come across as authentic and you've already got the ticket into the room, I think that will distinguish you. Yeah. So what a great story. Uh, you're in a fantastic position now. Sounds like you're really enjoying enjoying yeah. your, your current role. What's yeah. next for you? I hope to carry on doing what I'm doing. I don't have a plan to stop doing it. Uh, the firm still seems to want me to be around to do the stuff I'm doing. So everybody's happy at the moment. Um, you know, the, the the idea, the days of retiring when you're 60 or 65 don't exist anymore. And, I, and I'm very privileged to be in a, in a role where I can, you know, I can carry on. Yes. So long as I'm happy and the firm's happy, then I'll, I'll just I'll just carry on. I've, I've got, I still harbour slight ambition to do a PhD at some point. It says a lot, doesn't it, if when uh, when asked that question and you are quite happy to stay where you're at, I think it says an awful lot about the company environment and the role. You're obviously feeling fulfilled and gaining that meaning. I do credit the career break that I had for a lot of that. I'm a big fan now of giving people a chance to have some time out to think about it, think about stuff and experience something very different and then come back refreshed. Uh, It certainly changed my worldview and an outlook and attitude and everything else you know so so I, I don't think I would have been able to transition to this role I'm in now without that break. I think that's really interesting because so many of the people I speak to so many of my clients have are, are worried about having a career break about how that looks on the CV and I think we've you know we've progressed so far from having a CV that is you know filled uh, consecutive jobs it doesn't happen. It doesn't necessarily work like that anymore. We re- realize, we recognize that people have a life, and that you want to be able to go off and do other things, and that actually that brings huge amount of value I to think, any future employer. 
definitely, definitely. And I think the pandemic has accelerated, excuse me, accelerated the um, understanding and realisation of the value of that. More people now are taking time out and reappraising stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this okay, conversation. No and I'm sure our listeners will as well. So thank you so much, Paul. OK, no problem. Thanks, Penny. Thanks for listening to another career story from the field. If you enjoyed this conversation, please follow or subscribe. Thanks for listening.